Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, Silicon Valley Bureau Chief for KQED, Tanya Mosley, and NPR Silicon Valley correspondent, Arthi Shahani. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute taping a very special episode in San Francisco at member station KQED. It's a special San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Bay Area tech-isode. I've never said that word before. <laughs> I loved it. I'm I love it. I'm going to steal that, right? I'm going to steal that. Tech-isode. A tech-focused episode with uh, Tanya Mosley, senior Silicon Valley editor for KQED in Silicon Valley. You made the trip up to San Francisco for us. Thank you. I did the long trek. No, my pleasure. <laughs> and Arthi Shahani, my friend, tech reporter for NPR. Uh, you also have some luggage here today with you as well. I do, yeah. Well, I'm traveling light, though. It's just carry-on. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. thank you both for making the trip. Um, I want us to talk right now about the song for this week, which I cannot get out of my head. Have you heard this? Okay, you like it, Tanya. <laughs> Do you know what song this is? Arthur? This is Drake's latest number one hit. It is called Nice For What. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I lo- okay, there are two reasons why I love it. <laughs> Number one, I love the video because all my favorite actresses are in the video. You've Who's seen in there? It, right? Yeah, it's uh, Issa Rae, Tracy Ellis Ross, Tra- Tracy from Ellis Ross, yeah, and also her daughter from Black. Yara Shahidi. Yeah, um, the comedian, their comedian, What's Tiffany Haddish. So I said they were Olivia all my favorite, Wilde. but I don't even remember <laughs> their so names. Why right? Are we, why are we talking? Why are we so, playing it? Yeah, play some more of it because <laughs> Arthur hasn't heard it yet. You got a baby band. You got some bad friends. High school pics. You was even bad then. You ain't stressing off no lover in the past tense. You already had them. Work at 8 a.m. This is uh, Drake's second number one song of the year so far. Uh, he just had a number one with his other song, God's Plan. But with this number one single, Nice For What, he becomes the most number one male. And that bothers you. For, in, the, in this decade. Right, He now right. beats Bruno Mars. He's everywhere. Of the top 20 songs in the country right now, one out of five of them has Drake in it. And it's wow. been that way for a while. Why is he everywhere? Because he's great. He's good. <laughs> You think it doesn't have to do it? You think it's more than that? It's a I machine behind him. Too. I love how you he know. dances. Do you do? I do. Okay. <laughs> Watch the breakdown. And it's kind of like this mashup because the vocals are this like Lauryn Hill sample, but the percussion is this like quintessential classic New Orleans bounce track. Mm-hmm. And this champion of like New Orleans bounce, Big Frida, is in the song. It, there's layers to it. I could go on. But can I just say, though, yeah. that's part of the appeal of yeah. Drake is he's like a chameleon and he can adapt and he hits at popular points right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this song is catchy. Yes. Anyway. Uh, we are here to look back on the week of news and culture and everything else. Uh, also, we got to be clear and let our listeners know, this week we taped the show Thursday evening. So if you hear it and some stuff has happened on Friday, oh well. And <laughs> Okay. Uh, all right. So let's get into it. Um, every week we begin the show by describing how our week of news felt in only three words. Tanya. Yes. You have three words. Yes. I'm ready for them. All Falls Down. Okay. And it's a play on Kanye West's song. That classic Kanye yes, West song. Yes, that classic song. And the reason why I chose those words, well, first off, rapper, producer, extraordinaire, Kanye West began tweeting 
almost about two weeks ago. Yeah. And he hadn't been tweeting for quite a long exactly. time. And then he started tweeting. And for a while, people were like, oh, my gosh, these tweets are are really insightful and deep. And inspirational, and inspirational. I liked them last week. Yeah. And then a few days ago, he started tweeting about his relationship with Donald Trump and how they are dragon brothers. They both have like the same. Dragon energy. <laughs> dragon energy. Right. What is, can we just pause real quick? I still What's don't know what dragon, dragon energy is. I actually got that. The dragon energy part. Please tell you, me what oh, it is. Well, no, Do because care. we're in California. Everyone talks about energy here. So yeah. it's like, you know, he's kind of like this sort of spirit animal, fire breathing, doesn't hold it back. Mm. Like, I don't know. I just, the whole dragon energy thing, I actually thought that was you like. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah. It's funny with this Kanye West business. Everyone wants everyone to have to have an opinion on it. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I'm not going to say anything about it because I don't know what's going on. But, like, I can't tell if, like, he means it or it's for publicity or there's some deeper stuff going on. And, you know, another reason why I, the all falls down, like, came to me is because yeah. it's the breaking down of norms. President Trump responded to Oh, yeah. He tweeted him. back at Kanye. And so we're at this point now where we're seeing this type of dialogue happen on this social media platform. And it just it's like... It's like a breaking of norms yes. on how this is supposed yeah. to go. Um, that's number two. Yeah. Um, number three is Ronnie Jackson. But this I, is tough folks. Yes. Yes. So he's the White House physician that was up for the post, um, the top post for Veterans Affairs um, position. And he um, there was lots of stuff that started to come out about him. So essentially that um, he might have been over prescribing folks. Um, he had a drinking problem, allegedly, many people were saying. He actually has stepped back from um, this potential appointment. He says, no, you know, wow. he's not going to go for it. And then there's Bill Cosby. Yeah. He was convicted three counts of sexual assault and uh, he'll be sentenced at a later date. Mm. But just thinking about how far... Bill Cosby has fallen yeah. um, to this point now. Yeah. I mean, even looking at the headline, uh-huh. I'm thinking like my 10 year old self, if I had seen that, it would have been like, this is some sort of prank. This is some sort happen. of joke. Like, Because he was America's dad for a long time. No. Especially for black America. It's still tripping me out. Like, oh, I still, yeah. you know, Do you still... I've come, I'm at peace with it, yeah. but I'm still like really tripped out. Would you still feel comfortable watching the Cosby show? I can't. I can't do it. Like, mm. I was, I have a, a daughter who, mm. um, a few weeks before this all like blew up, I introduced her to the Cosby show and I was trying to get her really into yeah. it. And then this happened and we just stopped. She wasn't that into it anyway. Yeah. So it's something. Yeah. Arthi. My three words. Yes. Which I've been thinking about all day. Okay. <laughs> Seeds of life. Seeds of life. Mm-hmm. Got real deep, real quick. Mm-hmm. I love it. What is this about? It started with uh, The Rock's Instagram post. Because he has his He's new, a new father. He's or a newly father a father. Again. A father yeah. again. And talked about, you know, his baby's skin against his and, you know, having a child and what that means. And so that obviously it moved me. Uh, and then, you know, we saw Trump and his buddy Macron, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> planting together. Talking about French President Emmanuel Macron. Exactly. Who was in town or yeah. in D.C. this week yeah. for a state dinner and some other stuff. And he did this ceremonial tree planting with Donald Trump on the White House grounds. They were tilling the soil (laughs) as their wives watched wearing their stiletto heels. Yes, Uh, yes. (laughs) And I don't know, I guess for some reason those two moments, you know, tickled me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have three words now. Mine are, he is perfect. 
Ooh. Did y'all see this video this week? No. So what is it? It's so interesting. So you mentioned Macron and Trump together. Well, there was this moment where they're about to do a photo op. Mr. President, they're all saying what a great relationship we have. And they're actually correct. Where it's Trump leans over to Macron and fake. starts, like, so grooming him. In fact, I'll get that little piece of dandruff for that little piece. We have to make him perfect. He is perfect. So it is really... Uh, he says he is perfect is as really he's great. brushing off dust from Macron's shoulder. And so the words, he is perfect, stuck with me all week um, <laughs> because he's not perfect. His approval rating in France, mm-hmm. his home country, is like... At or around 40%. Very controversial mm-hmm. figure. Yeah. Out. And like mm-hmm. this this bromance between Macron and Trump, it's also not perfect because after the state dinner with Trump, we saw Macron address Congress and basically without saying Trump's name, bash major tenets of mm-hmm. Trump's policy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. The other reason that I was thinking of the words, he is perfect, uh, was because of the Supreme Court. You know, they are considering what to do with Donald Trump's travel ban. And what struck me is that, well, one, they're asking two big questions. Does the president have the right to do this kind of thing? And two, Mm -hmm. is Trump in doing this thing the way he did it? Is it discriminatory? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that they got caught up in with these arguments that took place this week is uh, whether comments Trump made about Muslims during the campaign can be used to say the ban itself is a discriminatory, yeah. so you can't do and it. And the government's argument there was amazing. Well, like, it's yeah. actually, it, yeah. you know, well, I remember listening and it's like one of the arguments that they're making is before Trump assumed his office he was a private, private citizen. citizen and meanwhile, and once he takes the oath then it all changes I, exactly and i'm like no no but like the very reason for example that facebook and twitter would let him get away with saying things that otherwise would be deemed hate speech and violating terms at least for facebook is because he's, he's not a, a private citizen exactly. he's a public figure yeah, yeah. and we all yeah. know it i mean yeah. like the norms change when you're when you're campaigning yeah yeah so and it was just so interesting for me to see the court basically admit in so many words and in so many questions Trump's comments on Muslims were not perfect. They basically all agree that they were bad. But their big question is, how long do we consider them? And I don't know. And uh, lots of folks that know more about the courts than I do basically say, from the line of questions that the justices gave this week, it seems as if they might side with Trump. Mm -hmm. We'll know in June, I think. Mm All right, before we go to break, we have two corrections from last week's show. Uh, One of our guests in the show last Friday said the mayor of Sacramento had previously played basketball for the Sacramento Kings. In fact, he did not. He played mostly for the Phoenix Suns. Also, I made an egregious error last week. I said that Lady Gaga was the first woman to headline Coachella. She was not. Bjork headlined Coachella some decade before. All right, when we come back, a conversation with the owner of a medical marijuana shop in Pennsylvania and my favorite game, Who Said That? You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Magoosh, online test prep for the ACT and SAT. Students can study anytime, anywhere with video lessons, practice questions, and email assistance from expert tutors. Prep smart, go far, and enjoy the ride at magoosh.com. 
Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded, and we've got a new episode all about how Scott Pruitt ended up running the EPA. It's a story about Pruitt's life in the Southern Baptist Church, how he handled a major pollution case, and why he sued the EPA 14 times. Just search for Embedded on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today, Tanya Mosley, senior Silicon Valley editor for KQED, and Arthi Shahani, tech reporter for NPR based in Silicon Valley. You guys, before we get back into the news, I have a quick question for you all. This week marks a very special, important anniversary. Uh, 25 years ago this week, the first web browser that really popularized the Internet for a lot of us It went live. It was called NCSA Mosaic 1.0. It was mostly text back then, but, you know, it changed the world. Can you guys recall on this momentous anniversary how and when and why you first used the Internet? Tanya. I was just entering college. Okay. So I'm much older than you guys, I guess. Not much. But <laughs> I was just entering college. And all I remember is like the websites I wanted to go to right away. And they all Which had one? one pages. I'm embarrassed because it's going to make me sound really shallow. Do but it. I remember doing Revlon.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> looking at nail polishes. I was saying, and oh, was their page any good? It was yeah. just basically like one static image and it was one page. Exactly. Um, and you sought out those sites. I sought out okay. all those sites. Okay. Isn't that crazy and weird? Yeah. What about you, Arthur? Uh, I remember around that same time dialing in through America Online. Yeah. Mm. I remember the sound of that modem where you'd be connected to a regular yeah. phone I and they'd can, use can that I do phone it? line. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was actually more into writing long emails to people. Like oh. I, I'm a letter writer. Look at and you. So I, yes. I was, you know, writing my email letters. Oh man, <laughs> you guys. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. Some more Drake for you, <laughs> just a little bit. We call a listener, talk to them about what's going on in their neck of the woods. Uh, And this week we are talking with Samuel Britz. He is an accountant turned medical marijuana dispensary owner. Uh, He has a dispensary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's called Salivo Wellness. And he just opened this shop about two months ago because that's when it became legal in Pennsylvania to sell medical marijuana. And so we first were into this story because we'd heard about marijuana shortages in Pennsylvania. But talking to Samuel Brits, we actually found out that the shortages weren't the only or even the biggest problem with medical marijuana there. All right, let's listen. Hello, Samuel. Yes. How are you? Real good, you? I'm good. My name is also Sam, although I go by Sam, not Samuel. I go by Sam, too. Cool, cool. So we're calling you... Because Pennsylvania recently legalized medical marijuana, you have a medical marijuana dispensary. How long have you guys been open? February 15th, we opened the first day that product was available at, you know, in the state. All right. Um, what's the business been like? How many customers a day? How much product? How much money have you been making? Well, I'm not going to get into how much money we're making. Okay. And to be honest, we're not even making money. <laughs> um, Why not? Well, it's it's a tough business. And people think that just because you have a marijuana dispensary license, it's a license to print money. And it's not true. It's a really tough business. i got to pay tax on my gross profit, not my net profit, my gross profit, because marijuana is a Schedule One drug. So yeah. the federal government classifies marijuana the same as it does heroin on the street. 
So it's the most severe classification of a drug. Correct. I want you to break down uh, for me and all of our listeners that distinction between paying tax on gross versus net and what that means for you. Um, I'm paying tax on, I sell the product, I can deduct the cost of the product, and that's it. So like other businesses can deduct more, you're saying? So after, after that, I can't deduct my rent, I can't deduct my, my employees' wages, office supplies, anything else. So if I were to make $1,000 and spend $1,000 on wages and rent, I would still have to pay tax even though I have no profit left at the end of the day. And that difference exists because you're selling marijuana and that is still illegal federally. That's a federally, yeah, and that tax I'm talking about is a federal tax. Huh. Um, How hard has that made things for you? Have you even broken even yet? No, we haven't. Are you going to stick with it and then? It, yeah, absolutely. We're going to stick with it. And, you know, we're, we're banking on some day that someone in Washington will have enough common sense to realize that these are legitimate business, legitimate business people, okay, doing a service for a community. And why should we be penalized any different than any other legitimate business? Um, tell me a bit about your customer base. Uh, is there a usual type of customer you see? I, I tell you what, it's kind of, um, in one day, we had a two-year-old come in with a caregiver, of course, and a 97-year-old in the same day, and I thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> that shows you how broad the spectrum is, the people that are looking for, for relief from marijuana. I see a lot of mothers coming in for their kids, okay? Huh. And that's where it gets young. It's, it gets young for the kids and the caregivers, and then it jumps to like 40. So um, so it's legal for parents to give this medicine to their children there? As certified from a physician, yes. Gotcha. So then you are in the midst of this rollout of medical marijuana at a time when there's a patchwork of laws about marijuana all across the country and no real legal consensus about how this product should be treated across the country. If you could talk to federal lawmakers or even state lawmakers in Pennsylvania about what they should do next about regulating marijuana, what would you want to tell them? To as a, take it off as a Schedule One drug, put it in the uh, hands of the state, and let states regulate the way they want to regulate it. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you for your time, for talking with me. Uh, I really appreciate it, and have a great weekend. Okay, bud. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Samuel Britz. He owns a medical marijuana dispensary in Pittsburgh. All right, we're back in the studio now with Tanya and Arthi. Hearing that call back, it makes me wonder, you know, with all of these states gradually legalizing marijuana in various ways, it seems like we might be seeing the beginning of the end of the fight over marijuana in America. Well, I feel so. I feel that way. Um it's interesting. I've had the pleasure of living lots of different places. Yeah. And about a decade ago, I did this investigative uh, piece on the ease of getting a medical marijuana license in Washington state. And I was mm-hmm. living in Seattle at the time. Okay. And looking back on it, it's actually seems You're just like my back hurts. 
yeah, go to the chiropractor. My back hurts. I got one like in an hour. Um, <laughs> but then since then, um, marijuana is legal there commercially. So for recreational purposes, recreational purposes, yeah. right? And then I went across the country to Boston, Massachusetts, and they were doing the same thing where they uh-huh. were just legalizing it. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to California, and it just where the whole legal, state smells like marijuana. <laughs> recreational <laughs> marijuana. And now, as you said, with this gentleman, it really does feel like the beginning of the end. But I actually don't know where we will go on the federal level because yeah. I've not seen where there has been a real stance in saying this is headed this way. Yeah. And I think there's things about medical marijuana even that we kind of don't think of. Like you can, parents can give medical marijuana to their children if they, you know, have one of like 17 medical conditions in Pennsylvania at least mm-hmm. like so kids with autism kids with epilepsy that's mind blowing yeah. they can take medical marijuana listeners want to talk to you about the news where you live if you have a reaction to a thing you heard on the show or a story you've seen in the news let us know drop us a line I'm at samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Tanya Mosley, senior Silicon Valley editor for KQED, and Arthi Shahani, tech reporter for NPR based in Silicon Valley. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Now it's time for our main story. And because you both cover tech, we're talking tech today. I mean, it seems like every week there are more stories about companies like Facebook and what they allow on their platforms and what they do with our data Um, I want to talk about the latest uh, in this line of stories. And I also want to use some time to get to some Facebook news that happened this week. Uh, Facebook made public this like 27 page document, the guidelines they use to determine what stuff can stay and what's removed from Facebook. Y'all read it. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) I I actually did read it. I did read it, yeah. Was there anything (laughs) new or surprising there? I guess break it down for listeners who haven't read it yet. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. Facebook is not a free speech platform. Say Um, it again. They are not a free speech (laughs) platform and they have long had prohibitions on what you're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. You can't post your bare nipple. Although there are some exceptions. Yeah. Go on. You can't post what's considered hate speech. Uh, It's easier to tell what a nipple is than to tell what hate speech is. And so Mm. therein lies a lot of complications and a lot of controversy around their enforcement of their guidelines. And then they did say they're going to start allowing appeals for, let's say you've got a post that was taken down Mm -hmm. um, because somebody flagged it. And then their decision makers, and we should talk about who their decision makers are. Yeah, we will. um, Their decision makers decide, okay, you can't have this up. I could appeal that. Now, I would just say, though, that right now the way Facebook system works is when something's flagged, there's a very good chance that the person deciding whether or not you made an inappropriate or inappropriate comment is somewhere off maybe in the Philippines Hmm. and is sitting in some subcontracted office Hmm. and is under pressure to make very fast decisions. decisions. Tanya. Were you, Arthi, surprised by the number of humans, the 77,500 human folks from all over the world who are um, sifting through content and just how small that number is? Because there's, what, billions of people on Facebook? Yeah, 2 billion user practically platform. No, it's tiny. And And the idea of them having to go through and make decisions very quickly. That's hard. That ties into 
you, I mean, you hit on all of the biases, all of the things that come. You have to make these quick decisions Mm -hmm. um, automatically. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard. So, okay. So, like, the other thing that I see in the news when we talk about Facebook and other firms like it is how you regulate these companies and Mm -hmm. if you regulate them. And I've been seeing a few headlines this week that are kind of questioning the European model of regulation of a company like Facebook, companies like Google. And I've read some things that say that some folks claim that the rules that have been made to regulate these companies actually make them stronger. Mm -hmm. And that threw me for a loop. They're too big now. I mean, they're so big now. So regulations, I mean, the argument is that at this point, it would benefit them. And then any company that's coming up under them were the ones that would be majorly affected by it. Yeah, because like, okay, so like in Europe, Basically, they have to disclose more of what they're collecting and ask for your permission to do so. And limit what they store. Exactly. And so if you are a user of Facebook or Google in Europe, you get a lot more push notifications or whatever saying Facebook wants to use this data or have this data. And the thinking is you'll say yes to a big company like Facebook Mm -hmm. more than you'll say yes to a small new startup. That's right. Mm -hmm. Tanya. A big question I have, I mean, do the layman folks really still care? Do they even care? Like, that's my question. So everything I do, I run it by my mom in Detroit because really? I feel like she's just like a regular. Like, I mean, not everything, but, you know, we're talking about Facebook. And yeah. She's on Facebook. And so she says to me, Tanya, explain to me about this. Tell me about this. I explain uh. it the next time I talk to her. So tell me again, like, what is this <laughs> mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. I mean, I kind of understand so what you're abstract. saying. Just yeah. tell me, do I need to quit Facebook or not? Like, that's the only thing. Really? And so, what do you tell her? Um, I tell her, well, first of all, I think she does it right in that she has hardly any information and she barely uses it. So okay. she goes on to see me and her other relatives. Yeah. The value of it is the connection. Yeah. So, you know, I actually uninstalled my Facebook app. I haven't deleted Facebook, but I have uninstalled the app. Mm -hmm. Do you still have it, Tanya? I've uninstalled it. It's not on either of my phones, my work or personal phone. Oh, wow. But I'm I'm still on Facebook. Do you miss it? No, I don't. (laughs) That's the thing is like, I think, oh, at the end of the night, oh, yeah, I didn't check Facebook. Are you? I probably post once a week and it's the same thing every Friday. I don't use it that much. Yeah. Yeah. So so here's here's the thing that, that gets me for it. All that Mark Zuckerberg talks about, well, we watch you closely so we can give you the service of targeted advertising, and it's a benefit to our users, and everything we do is in service of the users. I have a simple question. Why is it when I go to Facebook, and if I want to share someone's post or if I want to share something, I can't share it outside of Of Facebook? Facebook. Yeah, Mm. I'm trapped inside Facebook. Mm -hmm. That is their monopoly ambition. Mm -hmm. It is to own your digital life and make sure you live in that walled garden. So I'm like, if you really want to help your users, why don't you let me share outside of this thing? And if you're not going to do it, can some regulator come and be like, actually, that's an antitrust issue. Hmm. You're going to have to change that. You know, and that's the scary part about it for me. I I started to do um, a deep dive into how media companies use Facebook and Mm. our over-reliance on it, I felt. Thinking about the fact that, like, okay, that's where the people are. People spend 90 minutes of their time a day on Facebook, and yet they spend maybe, maybe 20 to 30 minutes. And that's someone who's an active news consumer. Mm. So if you're thinking about how to get... On, on news, oh. on news themselves, like finding wow. news other places, but huh. 90 minutes on average. And so, you know, lots of people spend a lot more time on Facebook. And as you said, 
they are the whole idea is to make sure people stay on it. So that's why you can't share things out of it, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the purpose. Yeah. So I want us to look forward a little bit when it comes to Facebook. There is a conference uh, that starts next week, I believe. The F8. The F8 conference that could give us some signals as to what Facebook's public stance with developers might be. I guess first time to tell us what F8 is. So F8 is an annual conference for developers. So those are all of when you're on Facebook and say your friend posts something that says, um, oh, I'm a Virgo and these are all the things about me and you take the quiz and mm -hmm. then you go out and then they have your data. You, you say, yes, you want to take the quiz and you give them access. Yeah. Those are all those third party folks. Gotcha. So a lot of those people will be there as well. And so we'll just learn more about what Facebook has and what plans that they have over time. Will they yeah. crack down, you think, on those developers starting with this conference or will it be more of the same? I, no, I just I think it's going to be a really funny dynamic because hmm. basically the storyline is something like. Facebook, you cheated on your users by handing us off to these third parties. And so now you're going to go and meet with these third parties in your annual enormous conference. And are you going to set things straight? You know, what's your message to them? Are you friends or foes? And so I kind of feel like Zuck Zuckerberg will have to get on stage and give a keynote that emphasizes responsibility. But at the same time, he has to keep these app developers happy and a exactly. part of the platform. That's where the money because comes that's where from. the money comes that's, from. Yeah. I actually think in the next one to two years, assuming that their economics hold steady and they keep on milking money the way they did, they just they just had their quarterly earnings and they 12, made a lot of money. Twelve billion, yeah, in a quarter, and that's a fifty percent increase from the prior year. Fifty percent increase in revenue. Okay, right. that's uh. I mean they are minting in spite money. of the bad headlines. That's the thing that I think is so tricky is that there are bad headlines that I think um, they will pass because new cycles are short mm -hmm. and the advertising industry is happy with them. Yeah. My last question with this. This week, I have been seeing emails and pop-ups from companies besides Facebook all kind of saying – Here's a new notice about what we're doing with your data. That's because of the GDPR. Is that correct? Wait, yeah, what's yeah. GDPR? So, yeah. So the general data protection regulation out of Europe, what's happening is you've got all these companies, many of them based in the U.S., that are like, oh, we can't just change things in Europe, Europe. and not change mm -hmm. them Oh, for they're America. doing a global change. Because yep. it, it would look bad. Like, hey, Europeans, <laughs> like, you can choose. Yeah. Americans, you can't choose. Like, right. no, we're not, yeah. not going to be okay with that. So then is this a new normal where basically everything I use on the Internet is going to ask me every five days if I'm okay? Well, yeah, but only they ask to varying degrees of effectiveness. So I got the message from Twitter about uh -huh. changing. So I'm yeah. actually, I'm on a campaign to say no to everything. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want yes. thank yes. you. Preach it, right? Yes. I just yes. just say no to everything. No. Opt out of everything. Just, just say, say no. no. Right. I think we should end it up right there and just say when in doubt, just say, say no. no. All right, guys, time for a quick break. When we come back, my favorite game, who said that? Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sony Pictures Classics, presenting The Rider, a new film by Chloe Zhao. After a Bronco riding accident, a young rodeo cowboy finds inspiration and redemption while creating a new life. Nominated for five Independent Spirit Awards, including Best Picture, now playing. What's unique about the human experience, and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. 
Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today, Tanya Mosley. She's the senior Silicon Valley editor for KQED. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, oh, Sam. Oh, yeah. And Arthi Shahani, tech reporter for NPR based in Silicon Valley. You guys, it's time for my favorite game. Who am I saying that? Who said that? The game is so simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least get close. Get a keyword. I this ain't Jeopardy. Just get close. I can use my phone, right? No, you can't. Oh my Sam, you just took everything I got in my head. Leave me alone. Actually, put the phones on the floor. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, also, to be clear, the winner gets absolutely nothing. Oh, oh, that's good. It's just for the fun. Just for the fun. First quote. Ready. I'm perfectly willing and happy to step aside or help transition it into something new. Who LeBron said that? James. <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh, that was a great guess. That wow. was a good guess. I love that. This is about a cartoon character that's been in the news for a few weeks or for a few months. Cartoon for a while. character? A cartoon character in a very and probably the most popular cartoon and longest running cartoon of all time. Oh, Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. But what did they say? Oh. What's the controversial character in the Simpsons right now? Abu. Yeah, Apu. Yeah. So a while back, this comedian, Hari Kondabolu, he made a documentary all about uh, Apu, this Indian-American character on The Simpsons, that he and lots of other folks find offensive uh, and stereotyping. And this week, the man that voices Apu's character on The Simpsons, Hank Azaria, he was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he said, yeah, maybe it should change. Maybe we, sh- we should change Apu. And he said, quote, the idea that anybody young or old, past or present, was bullied or teased based on the character of Apu, it just really makes me sad. It was certainly not my intention. I wanted to spread laughter and joy with this character. And the idea that it's brought pain and suffering in in any way, that it was used to marginalize people, it's upsetting. Hmm. I guess it's progress. It's surprising to me sometimes that it takes, that that we're now, like we're in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Arthi, you're up one to zip. No, no. LeBron James got to be one of the three. That's (laughs) what I'm just thinking. I thought that was a better guess. Whatever it is, let's just talk about LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) Next quote. Ready? We are going to celebrate later with fish and chips. I'm so afraid of guessing because if I guess. What country is known for fish and chips? What country is known for fish and chips? Uh, the UK? Yes. Now, yes. what happened in the UK that was big this week? Oh, the baby? Yeah. The baby. Yeah. <laughs> the baby. Yes. So there was a royal baby that happened this week. Uh Prince William and Kate Middleton had their third child, a boy. And so the funny thing was, okay, one, that quote came from 83-year-old Terry Hutt. He was talking to reporters. He was was one of the Brits who was basically camped outside of this hospital to see the royal family come out with their new baby. But what was funny about all the folks in the press camped out to see the new baby was that's also the exit for all the other new parents. Oh, really? Yes. So, so moms were coming out like, oh, oh. For me? Like, just keep keep going. Exactly. Keep, oh, so there's all these oh. weird moments where bewildered new parents step out of the hospital with their new infants, and there's, like, camera crews everywhere and fans everywhere, and then they realize, oh, I wonder when will that subside because this is the third now. So if she continues to have more, will this will we have this circus each time? I feel like every royal baby is a royal baby. That's right. It's mm-hmm. royal, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, it's tied 1-1. One, one. Third quote. <laughs> when they released him, we said, the helicopter's going to pick you up. Who said that? Who got released this week? 
Oh, Mickey Mill, Mickey yeah. Mill, yes. I love when you call them Mickey Mill. I, I, I always make that mistake. I don't know. It should be Mickey, right? It I don't should be Mickey. Yeah. So that quote was from Michael Rubin. Michael Rubin is a co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. And when Meek Mill, the rapper who had been locked up for a while, when Meek Mill got released from prison, uh, Michael Rubin picked him up in a chopper, in a helicopter. And then Meek Mill got to sit courtside with Rubin and Kevin Hart at the 76ers playoff game that same day. The things I learned on Twitter. That's the only yeah. reason why I scrolling down, I saw the little helicopter thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Meek Mill's story is interesting because he was this famous rapper that kind of came to civilize for lots of people problems with our justice system. Um, he had been on probation for a gun and drug case back from 08, but he got locked up this last time for popping wheelies on his dirt bike and for, like, getting into a fight. Mm -hmm. And that was a parole violation that locked him up for what many said was way too long. But he's free now. Mm. Anyway, um, you won. Tanya, how's it feel? It feels good. You know, that's all it counts right That's you don't right. need a prize no it's just it's, yeah. it, it's in here it's in here the prize is in your heart yep. not yep. even socks we can arrange that <laughs> i know with the Check logo right it's been a minute on the side we need socks yeah. you, you yeah. hear that team socks soon <laughs> all right now it's time to end the show as we do every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week we encourage everyone to brag the audio is here let's take a listen hey sam this is sophia from st louis missouri the best part of my week was traveling to Fort Benning, Georgia to watch my little brother graduate from basic training and become a U.S. Army infantryman. Congratulations. I am so incredibly proud of him and so, so happy to have him home. Yeah. Hey, Sam. This is Chaya from Philly by way of Houston. And the best thing that happened to me all week is that I was in the audience and saw Beyonce play Coachella live. What? I just walked out of my seven hour, yes, seven hour, MCAT exam. Oh my goodness. I adopted a beautiful brindle greyhound named Harley. Oh. I have just signed the lease on my first restaurant space. Congrats. I get to fly home to Michigan to see my twin brother graduate from college. Awesome. Hey Sam, this is Dane. Hey Dane. And Jessica from Chicago. Hey Jessica. And the best thing that happened to us this week is that on Saturday, we're moving to Mexico City for three months wow. for my job's international exchange program. Te veremos en agosto. See you in August. See you in August. Bye. Okay. Hey, Sam. This is Janice in Falls Church, Virginia. Hi, Janice. And the best thing that happened to me this week is thanks to you. A few weeks ago, you mentioned the Blink-182 residency in Las Vegas. <gasps> and this week, I booked plane tickets, a hotel, <laughs> and bought the tickets to see Blink-182 for yes. my husband and I to take our first trip to Las Vegas ever. Thank you so much. I love it. I'm going to meet you there. Hi, this is Julene, and I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, Julene. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that on Monday, I took the day off of work to mm-hmm. spend the day with my miniature dachshund, Lump. Um, he's named after Picasso's dog. Oh. Because uh, Lump wasn't doing so well. He's 14. And so we spent the day taking naps in the sunshine on a gorgeous spring day. Um, he got to eat some cheeseburger. Yeah. And then we said um, goodbye very peacefully and calmly oh. at the vet later that day. And uh. it was a hard day, but it was really, really, really good um, to be able to just spend that time with him. Thank you, Sam. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Lump. Oh, I hope he is running through doggy heaven with all the treats right now. Yeah. 
Thanks to all the voices you heard there. Sophia, Chaya, Sasha, Ashley, Venus, Kate, Dane and Jessica, Janice uh, and Juline. Thank you for sharing your story about Lump. And I hope you're doing okay. All right, we hear all of these that come in, and we enjoy all of the great dog pics you send us. We've also recently been asking for ferret pictures, and we've gotten a lot. You've gotten a lot. A lot of people have ferrets. Ferrets huh? are a thing, yo. Wow. Even some videos of the ferrets. Huh. Send it all. Thanks for sharing. Send us whatever you want, whenever you got it, and send us your voices too. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. All right, to my guests. Watch the Thank you. Drake will take us out. Arthie's still just like, you can okay. You Arthie. Like, to put a little bounce. <laughs> that New Orleans bounce. Wait, where's like, the, where's the Lauren Hill it. part of it? Can they get to the Lauren Hill the part singing. of The singing. It's the end there of X-Factor. <laughs> oh, I, need to, I need to video this. It's a beautiful thing. It's uh-huh. a beautiful thing. Go Drake. Go Drake. <laughs> Tanya Mosley, Senior Silicon Valley Editor for KQED. And Arthie Shahani, who is dancing now, uh, tech reporter for NPR, based in Silicon Valley. Thank you both. And I guess, Drake, thanks for this bop. Uh, this week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with Steve Nelson, our director of programming. Our show was edited lovingly by Jeff Rogers and Allison McAdam. And our big boss, who signs a check for me at least, is Anya Grundman, NPR's VP of Programming. I want to give a special shout-out to NPR member station KQED. We are so grateful to them for hosting us here this week. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning. We have an all-politics episode of the show. I'm chatting with Mark McKinnon. Uh, He is co-host of a show all about politics right now on Showtime. It's called The Circus. And I talk with Mark and his friend, GOP strategist Mike Murphy. They give me uh, all they know about the upcoming midterms, which are just six months away, you guys. Anyways, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. That's the Lauren Hill part. There we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect time. Finally. Yes. There you go. There you go. Right?